millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Well, Sarah and Macklin, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So we we are in different continents, which I always love talking to people on different continents. That's not a Texas accent we're hearing. That's actually a British accent, right? That is a British accent. I feel very British here with my cup of tea in the oh. evening. Oh, I love it. Um, I love it. Selling it into this conversation. But yeah, I'm in um, I'm in London. Oh, nice. You're in London. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel very worldly now. You're in London. I'm in the, uh, I'm on the East Coast. It's just very worldly. So um, we're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff today. You've had a very diverse background. We've talked, uh, we talked a little bit about that in pre-show. But really, when it comes down to it, if you're a leader, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're driven in anything, musician, whatever you're driven to do, if you're super passionate about it and you're driven, you get to a point where you focus on the things that you focus on in life because we realize to take our lives to kind of this, you want to call it the next level or to evolve, it goes beyond just what we're doing in a vocation or what we're doing purposefully. We've got to start supporting the body, the mind, the soul in a, in a more, uh, I guess, uh, inspired and also thoughtful way, conscious way. And that's really what you, I know you're a nutritionist, but you're much more than that, right? Yeah. So I um, became a nutritionist 10 years ago after I finished my first studying with Bachelor of Science in London in nutritional science and biochemistry. But then I went on and founded a mental health organization that first of all worked in these kind of very high performing industries. So the arts, fashion, and we did a lot of policy change, big seminars, workshops. And then we made the Live Be Your podcast after that as well. And, and I've also kind of been running clinic and I did it for eight years in Harley Street. Since COVID, I've kind of been doing a lot more at home and in and different settings. But yes, and then I've done a lot of kind of advising for European dietary guidelines as well and do a lot of different workshops as well online, a lot of public speaking around this topic because as you said, it's kind of that sole purpose. You want to get your message out there as much as possible. So I've yeah. definitely had an interesting last 10 years and my kind of previous 10 years was, was very different to that and uh, <laughs> relates very much to that kind of like turning point story that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so for people that are listening on the podcast, or certainly if you're watching this on YouTube, so you can almost just follow along. And so I'm going to refer people to your website and tell them where I'm at. But I'm basically at Sarah Ann Macklin, M-A-C-K-L-I-N.com. And I'm on the seven pillars of health. So we're going to talk about that here shortly. And you've got a really nice website and it kind of takes you through those things. But these these seven pillars are much more than just, you know, nutrition's one of these seven. We're going to go through the seven here uh, with everyone listening and watching. But really, I have found in my own life, the more dialed in I get in these things that you talk about and educate around, just the more, I won't say high performing, but just the better I am at uh, life 
probably is a way to say that. And then also that leads to performance. I think I started with more of mm -hmm. how do I perform better? And then eventually it was like, oh, wait a second. There's like rest is actually a thing. And downtime is a good thing. And rejuve. I mean, I got to do things to take itself. And now the cliche thing is self or the maybe not cliche is self-care, right? Everybody's talking about self-care, but it's like, this goes beyond self-care. This is not just a massage or just like a facial. This is like, you got to self-respect. Right. And that's a great mm -hmm. way to put it. It's totally self-respect. Self so why on earth do you care about nutrition? Because your background is very different, right? Than nutrition. I mean, in fact, when I think of what you, you used to do, and I'll let you tell that story, what you used to do seems like that's the opposite of most of good nutrition. So, right. It's it kind of like, like bodybuilders are their weakest when they look their strongest. Right. So I've known a lot of bodybuilders and trainers and this like when they're when they look like they're just that's when they're actually physically the most not good. Right. Because mm -hmm. they've, yeah. they're dehydrated. They haven't been eating properly. Right. Right. They're depleted. And they. And yet that's the pinnacle of human male physique or female physique is this bodybuilder, whatever image, which is a total lie. So what did you do in your previous life? Yeah. And like, even before I kind of get into my story, it's yeah. interesting. Like you look at any kind of high big CEOs. I mean, I take Brian Johnson, for instance, who came on the show. And if you look at when he was running Braintree, he looked, I mean, he was an amazing businessman. He sold his company for 800 million, but he mm -hmm. looked like death. Right. Um, and now he's kind of like done this whole transformation now, you know, trying to biohack his body and kind of reverse his aging and then kind of not add any more aging on and trying to bring his, his health down dramatically um, and, and live forever is basically his game. Yes. Um, and it's fascinating because we kind of have this role, like whether it's a CEO or, CEO or any high performer, you actually at the top of that game, it, it's not kind of, it wasn't, I think it is now, but it wasn't kind of the trend to look like you're looking after yourself because then you're not busy enough. Right. So it's like, it's, it was a really interesting dynamic. And that's the kind of dynamic that I fell into 10 years ago, which I now think we are starting to change that narrative and that story quite a lot. Mm -hmm. But I do think that like 10 years ago, if you looked haggard and exhausted and you were run off your feet, you were doing a pretty good job. Whereas actually <laughs> we know that that's not the way to perform and that's not no. the way to kind of reach this kind of optimal performance that, that we're going to speak about today. But it's just interesting. It just, that was just the image that came to my mind when you were describing that to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and to everyone listening. So yeah, before I kind of went into this field of work, I was a fashion model. So I was an international fashion model. I was spotted at 16, so super young and then thrown into the world of extreme high performance. So I was flying every day. There'll be sometimes six days a week where I'd be on a flight. Oh, so wow. I wouldn't even be slept in a bed. I lived in Paris and I lived in Milan and I, I kind of secured myself in, well, Say secure myself. I had a place in New York, but mm -hmm. I was kind of flying all over the world. So back and forth to Europe, to LA, and I was filming an extremely high level. But also mm -hmm. when you think of people in the fashion industry, you don't think of health. No. You don't think <laughs> of food. You don't right. think of anything like that. It's basically like pure depletion. And it's right. interesting because all of your financial success mm -hmm. relies on what you look like. Right. And the only way that you feel that you can get better at your job is by changing the way that you look. Right. And so you do have a lot of pressure on the way that you look. And so I knew what every single inch of my body looked like from a wow. whole 360 degree angle, which wow. is not healthy. Because <laughs> everyone told me and right, criticized me on a feedback. daily basis. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, when you're living at that high pace with a lot of rejection, but also a lot of admiration at the same time, you know, you're getting booked, you're being told that you're amazing. And then the next minute you're not and you're out of fashion. So you're constantly in this kind of, up and down industry. And then at 23, it just got kind of too much for me. And I ended up in hospital for quite a few months in ICU. Oh, wow. 
Really? Um, I had, yeah, I had septicemia. I had mm-hmm. E. coli. I had five birth cysts. I had wow. a failed kidney. Wow. Um, I was a wreck. You were a I train was, wreck. <laughs> I was a literal train from, wreck. And this was all coming from kind of this unsustainable model diet. Is that what was happening? And just lifestyle in general, probably? Lifestyle in general. And this is why the seven pillars I talk about, which we'll go into later, is mm-hmm. so critical because immediately you think, oh, it's food. And it wasn't just food. I mean, I was definitely in that wellness culture in New York. I don't know if you remember this social media launched about 10 years ago now. I think it was Instagram. And everyone was taking pictures of kale and green juices mm-hmm. and how you need to be going to spin at 6 a.m. So I was obviously in this lifestyle where I was like, well, before I get to work, I need to do a spin class. Then I need to have this green juice that tastes foul, <laughs> but I'm going to drink it anyway. And then I'm not going to eat and I'm going to have some kale because that's apparently like the world of health. Right. And I was kind of transcended into this world that actually it wasn't healthy, but mm-hmm. was marketed as like the number one health gift. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, with an extreme pressure, with a huge amount of disconnection. So I had nobody around me that I could lean on or that cared about me or that I felt like I could speak to. I was just in this very transactional world. Mm-hmm. And every day it was a new person on set um, and everyone wanted something from you. And that was kind of the way that you live. I didn't have a, a family in New York. You know, my family mm-hmm. all back in London. Um, none of my friends were here, you know, so mm-hmm. it was, that was a very kind of like lonely existence and it's not kind of like getting out the violin, but it's kind of like picturing the mosaic together of this puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's not just this one factor, like nutrition played a huge part, stress played another huge mm-hmm. part, even chronic stress all the time, mm-hmm. um, the lack of human connection. So all of these things, I had no self-care. I didn't know what I needed, how I to look after myself properly, when to kind of have any boundaries put in place, when to turn off, when to say no. So I had none of these foundations in place. I was just kind of this asset that was making mm-hmm. money and had this on the outside, this hugely successful lifestyle, which is, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, it's fame, wealth, and social status. Mm-hmm. Well, I had all of them. So I was right. successful, but actually I was very unsuccessful. And that's kind of what really led me to this kind of full habitual burnout. And when you hear people talk about burnout, like habitual burnout is like hospitalization. Right. Your body shuts down. And that was kind of, where I was for many months. So it was, I don't know what it is. And um, I've been speaking to quite a few um, podcasts on the other side of the pond recently, but I was about five and a half stone. I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's very low with my body. I, I, just... I was going to say, I think, isn't a stone about 20, 25 pounds or something, or maybe less, maybe it's less than that. I don't know. I'll look something at it while like, we're going. You might have to do the conversion. The metrics, yeah, I'll do the conversion. I mean, it was a very unhealthy weight for my height. And yeah, and so that was kind of like my crisis point but the funny thing was is that I went back to New York to carry on modeling after I got out of ICU six months later and it wasn't until my dad had a brain hemorrhage back in London where he nearly died that Mm -hmm. I said to myself I need to get back and my agent in New York at the time was trying to negotiate for me to stay because I had a big contract to shoot and I shouldn't I shouldn't leave and it was that moment when I thought oh my god now all of a sudden all my numbness that is in me has gone And Mm -hmm. actually, this is really important to me. And it was one of those moments where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not looking after myself at all. I had these blinkers on and this is the way to success. And actually, I'm destroying myself in the process. Mm -hmm. And so I got back on that plane. In that moment, my agency in New York dropped me because there wasn't that commitment to kind of turn up to Mm -hmm. that job, which then led to all these feelings about failure. You know, that kind of led me onto my whole new path. And that was kind of my pure determination to kind of start with nutrition. Mm-hmm. And go, okay, well, I'm not in a great place. How can I get back there? How can I learn about this? And then that's kind of when the kind of seven pillars started to really develop with my philosophy of health of everything I've learned over the 10 years. Wow. Um, 
And so I did the, com- I looked it up. It was actually only 15, 14 pounds to the stone. So you weighed like 77 pounds uh, in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. <laughs> 77 pounds, which I don't care how tall you are. 77 Tiny. pounds is, is light. I mean, 77 pounds is like, yeah, you're on death's door, right? If you weigh but 77 I was pounds. Jobs. Yeah. And, and you're an adult. You're like, that's not good. That's uh, no bueno. The, um, not good. Not good. And so then did you go back to school and get your degree then? Is that because I heard you say earlier that you had a degree in, in what was your degree in? It was in, in, nutri- in, in nutritional science. Yeah. Okay. In so nutritional I, science. So then you went back to college or yeah, you I call it back. university, right? I want to speak the proper in, Queen's, yes. Queen's English or King's English. You, you went back to the university. <laughs> I did. I am. I don't worry. I picked all of my American lingo up when I lived in New York. And, uh, <laughs> I got absolutely shredded when I came back to London speaking right, that shredded. way. Right, shredded. There's an. Um, I've got. A, I've got some good friends who are British, but they live in the states, and so whenever we talk, I lovingly uh, make fun that I have to translate. So they'll say something, and then I'll just like convert it over into you know the heathen English that is American, right? This. But you can heathen. do that for me on this show. Yeah, well, no, no, I don't know. I, I don't want to know what I say. So I'm not going to subtitle it, but but yes, I, I get what you're saying. Yes. But yeah, that made me go and study um, nutritional science here and get uh-huh. my, my bachelor of science, and then I went on and looked at the psychology of eating disorders because for me, you know, when I was seeing patients in clinic, there was so much more than just kind of changing people's eating behavior like how can you change that behavior why where does this come from mm-hmm. we all have an emotional connection to food and you know an eating disorder isn't just anorexia nervosa or bulimia or right. any of these kind of like headlines that you see i really believe that we all have an emotional connection to food and that really led me into my interest with mental health which is when i started to kind of really open my lens and actually see that it's such an encompassing subject that especially in england it's not so much in where, well, it wasn't in New York, but I can't generalize for all of America, but it felt like much more of an open conversation when I was there. I mean, it was like a dinner mm-hmm. party conversation where everyone would be talking about a therapist and I was that awkward British person feeling <laughs> really awkward about having this conversation. And that's, you know, over obviously the last 10 years, it's now all I talk about because I find mm-hmm. it so fundamental. Um, and that really led me into kind of understanding more about kind of emotional resilience and and the importance of self-care and the importance of how we eat affects our brain. And obviously, obviously how we feel also affects our kind of a gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this kind of like vortex opened where I was like, well, there is so much more here than we actually discuss in our society. And um, it's not just this kind of one linear route that we all think about. It's way more complex. And so, yeah, so my kind of my research is still ongoing to this day. And I think that's why I'm sure like you. Mm-hmm. finding having these conversations on the show with all different experts just really opens your mind to so many different ways of thinking and research and conversations, which is amazing because it means yeah. you're always learning. Totally. And so we're going to run through, and this won't be a full-blown presentation, we're going to run through these seven <laughs> areas that you focus on because we, we could each one of these could be a, literally a series of podcasts, each right. one of the individual. So we'll just kind of highlight. And I also want to say that just like you're saying, definitely for me, it's an evolving process that started and it's it's stepped. So as we go over all this stuff, I don't want people to feel overwhelmed or feel like they have to do it all. It's really just take one or two things and incorporate that in. And then, you know, life will present the next one or two things. For me, it's just holding that intention of I want to get physically better, mentally better, spiritually better, you know, be a better husband, father, you know, aunt, uncle, whatever that is for everyone, right? It's just kind of this, what's your intention? What's your desire? And then naturally life will start moving you in that direction. It's not about that you have to, 
have to do all of these seven things perfectly because that's not going to happen. And there's no perfect. Like exactly. in all of my philosophy, nothing is perfect. That everybody is so individual. Mm-hmm. And so you might have the most incredible sleep, but you might kind of actually not have any self-care or any kind of time for yourself. And it's about mm-hmm. kind of understanding where your needs are more out. Whereas I think, I don't know how you feel about this on, on the show and what you see, but people really do try to kind of pinpoint health into one direction. Right. And I think it's so vast and it's so complex and it's so much more about kind of our environment and what we've kind of got available to us and mm-hmm. what choices can we make that are small, that aren't so drastic, that can have a massive improvement on our life, but also kind of on our relationships, on our work. Um, but just kind of more with ourselves. And I think we're, we're very rarely kind of taught about ourselves. Um, <laughs> you know, and I wish we were taught about this at school, but I think a lot of us go on to search for kind of the perfect answer. Mm-hmm. And we're always looking outwardly, but we're never mm-hmm. focusing on, on the inward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where the real change starts. Mm-hmm. So it's not about having a tick list. It's not about having a checkbox and saying, oh, I've done all these things perfectly. Because mm-hmm. you still might be desperate and unhappy. And that doesn't mm-hmm. make that, you know, that's not what the right. aim of the game is. The aim of the right. game is to kind of do this with intention that actually your happiness is, is kind of the main kind of outcome that you want. Totally, totally. So I'm going to just read through these um, and then we'll, we'll touch on the ones that maybe you think we can get the most traction on for people to have something. I, I, want, I love on the show for people to feel like they've gotten value and there's some takeaway that they can implement in their lives. Or, and again, if it's even just, one little tweak that's, you know, worth the listen, worth the lift. So you've got these seven pillars, nutrition, emotional resilience, self-care, sleep, embracing failure, which that's an interesting one, human connection and mindful movement. And embracing failure, I guess, for me on the list is not one that I see in a lot of other uh, work. Uh, specifically, that one kind of stood out. The rest of them within reason. So which one of these do you, which, or do you want to just kind of, how, how do you want to, kind of process these well maybe let's start from from the first i think okay. um you know nutrition was kind of the first yep. round that i was such a big change in my life and i think it's one of those things that's you know actually quite easy for people to start making even just small tweaks within their day-to-day lives and it's not something big it's not overall in your whole whole diet but it's also i think there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to nutrition and the reason why that was so kind of important on my journey was the misinformation that was out there. And I really believed that I had to be living this kind of like idealized diet, this perfect diet that was like, you know, sheltered from all the marketing screens. And that's actually kind of what led me to poor health. So I think like one of my biggest things is to really actually bring the science of nutrition forward so people don't find it too confusing, don't find it too overwhelming, but also find that they can get on that ladder. There's less friction there for people to start. And it is complex, but it's also really simple. And it doesn't need to be expensive. And I think there's this real industry at the moment that can make it feel that it's a kind of a, a very kind of elitist side to get into that. So for me, nutrition is the biggest thing is that it's the enjoyment of food to get from it. So you really need to enjoy what you're having. You know, if you're going to go on an extreme change in any part of your life, you've got to make sure you're enjoying it. I think that's one of the biggest parts of nutrition. But, you know, so much about the food that we consume also really impacts our mental health. And that's where I find the real passion in nutrition. You know, it's not just on the aesthetic purposes and it's not just also on how we feel on our energy. It's so much to do with our mental health. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I would love people to take from this, our conversation, mm-hmm. is that food is not just about the fuel for your body. It's also the fuel for your mind. And there's so much that we could be doing for our food and our mental health. And that's kind of one of the core messages that I really try to relay in my work. 
Mm -hmm. This podcast brought to you by McDonald's and Burger King, where you can get the... No, I was... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Basically, when you're... They do that about... to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I haven't eaten at either one of those establishments in so long. I don't even remember the last time. But, uh, or any really fast food for the most part. Um, the, but nutrition, whole foods, right? Whole foods, balanced. Whole foods. You know, but, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, right, that we have to even like term that it's whole food because <laughs> two thirds, isn't it crazy? But like two right. thirds of our shopping baskets in the UK anyway, and uh -huh. I do think it's really yeah. similar in the US, mm -hmm. um, is full of processed food. And I yeah, think right. there's this whole kind of like misconception of like, well, what is processed foods? Because I think they're so <laughs> cleverly marketed now that yes. people are thinking they're eating whole food. And I think that's the problem that we foresee. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, predominantly a whole food diet, but I'm also super aware that most of our shops are stocked through a processed food. So it's about making those choices as well as you can. But mm -hmm. preparation around all of this is like super, super key. But whole foods is one of the biggest thing. Within that, it's fiber. So people have probably heard a lot about fiber. It's non-digestible. It's kind of food for our gut microbiome. It's the fertilizer for the garden of how we call it for our gut health. Mm -hmm. um, and that's basically what helps our microbes like double in size and that's the food that they eat and those microbes are super 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 important because all of our neuromodulators like our serotonin and our dopamine all of the kind of our feel good neurotransmitters are actually made within our gut mm -hmm. and so they actually cross the blood brain barrier and start making those chemical reactions in the brain so we know that the people have that have ibs or, or ibd like crohn's and ulcerative colitis actually have higher levels of poor mental health, like depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So we know that our gut microbiome is essential, but we also know that 10% of the signals from our brain go down to in our gut as well. And that can actually change our gut microbiome as well. So it's, that's why this kind of like dual connection mm -hmm. via the vagus nerve is so, so important. So yes, 90% of um, our neuromodulators is kind of taken up into our brain, but 10% of that is also taken down and obstructs our gut microbiome. So we could be eating all of the best food, but if we're heavily stressed, this is going to also mm -hmm. be affecting our gut microbiome, which is why these two things go hand in hand. And a really fascinating study that really looked at this with a real big lens, it was the first study that was ever done, was the SMILES trial. It was done by Felice Jacker, who runs the Food and Mood Center in Australia. Mm -hmm. And she really, really wanted to know about actually what happens if we take a group of people who are depressed, not just kind of like having low moods, that are chronically severely depressed, and we give them a whole food diet, which is a Mediterranean diet approach, but it was a bit more extreme. It was a mm -hmm. much larger portions of food. So when I try and show this kind of food pyramid of what they were eating, it was like five to eight portions of whole grains a day. I mean, it was a lot more mm -hmm. than what you would usually have, but it was all based on Mediterranean diet. It was called the modified mm -hmm. Mediterranean diet. And that they showed after three months, I think it was either like half of the people went into remission of their depression symptoms mm. from having just this whole foods diet. And it really, really shows that actually it can be used as a treatment plan for depression. But also if we look at it from another lens, I think about preventative, which I think mm -hmm. is one of the key things that we should be talking about, how powerful this could be is that actually if we shine a lens on our gut microbiome, shine a lens on this whole food diet, the Mediterranean style diet approach, we can actually start to think about it as supporting our mental health. Mm -hmm. So food plays a massive thing. So if I try to think about this as you know, your takeaways for your listeners of what could they be having, try to look at the Mediterranean diet, try to have that as kind of like your cornerstone of health, try to have it in a more mindful setting. So when you're more calm, when you're more relaxed, not when you're like rushing around and grabbing a sandwich and doing it on right. the run, all of these things create stress. And it sounds so simple when we look at the research, it has a massive effect. And so 
when we're citing research, it's so important to look at all these other variables that actually are the reasons why they've shown these results. So having a whole foods diet, having loads of beans, loads of fiber, you know, still having meat and fish in your diet, but it not kind of being like the main majority of your diet mm-hmm. and filling it with as many kind of fruits and vegetables as possible. Nuts is the really key factor in that diet as well. So it was olive oil. But trying to have it as your staple, and I say this because I did a talk last week and I actually put this slide up. And I said to the people in the room, I want you to tally how many times a week and how many times a day you include these foods. Mm-hmm. And I said, how many people in this room? And they were all high performers. How mm-hmm. many people in this room have done this before? And none of them have put their hand up. So I said, this is going to be a really interesting kind of thought process for you to think about. And they were all so shocked. They think they all thought that they had eaten so much more than they actually did. Right. And it's actually when you start referencing what you are consuming and what is mm-hmm. in your diet and all those kind of extras that you're having, that's actually kind of a really big starting signal to say, well, before I try to do anything by adding all of these extra things into my diet, like supplements or mm-hmm. whatever that is that you're trying to like upgrade your diet with, let's just start with the foundation. And I find a lot of people just kind of overlook this because they might think that they're actually already there. But when they actually write it down or maybe do a one or two day food diary and mm-hmm. actually look back, they actually can see that maybe they're under consuming just these kind of like key factors that we talk mm-hmm. about in health and nutrition. So I'd say start there, have a little look at that modified Mediterranean diet from the SMILES trial. It's all online. You can kind of look at the quantities and you don't need to eat that amount, but just look at the types of food. It's like legumes, it's whole grains, it's Mm -hmm. beans, it's lots of vegetables, it's nuts, it's a little bit of fish, it's small amounts of dairy. And just try to think how many times a week in a day am I consuming these? And then where can you start from there? And I think that's like one of the biggest key factors that when we kind of look at our food and, and our lifestyle that we can kind of really start from. And, and if you're struggling, what I say is just every week, add in a new whole food to your diet that you've never tried before. So maybe this week you'll make say, okay, well, I haven't tried a butter bean or a lentil. I've not cooked with that before. So I'm going to add that into my diet. Okay, I've not cooked with an artichoke before. The next week I'm going to add that into my diet. And so at the end of that month, you've got four new whole foods in your diet. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel like an extreme overhaul, but you've already got the diversity that's in there. That is a really key factor. Mm-hmm. So it's like these small, simple steps that people can make. And actually, over the month, over the three months, over the six months, over the 12 months, has a dramatic impact on, on your health without causing you huge amounts of stress at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like that. I like that. Uh, which of the seven you want to touch on next? Emotional intelligence, self-care, sleep. Well, you can decide if you want to touch on sleep or not. I'm trying to look at the ones that maybe people haven't, you think probably are the most, the most uh, misinformation around that we could help, you know, shift that thinking. Well, maybe we do self-care because you mentioned that at the uh beginning and you Mm -hmm. mentioned such a good example that I reference a lot. Like a lot of people think about self-care as a couple bath or, you know, a really extravagant day to a spa. Right. And right. it's so interesting. I feel like it's these birthday cards or these memes that have basically got us to like have that Friday night relax and do a self-care routine. Right. And it's also very, very marketed towards women, which mm-hmm. I find really interesting. It's like mm-hmm. very heavily marketed towards women. But actually, when we really take a step back, like I look at self-care as self-respect. And so if you think mm-hmm. about, let me try and put this into an, an, another way of a visual. If you're on an airplane, what they always say is put on your own mark mm-hmm. and then put on your child's next to you. Mm-hmm. really similar when we think about self-care. If you aren't putting any boundaries or any kind of routine in for yourself, but it's looking after you, mm-hmm. which basically means that you'll perform better, you'll be better in your relationships, then you're actually not putting yourself 
first at all and you're actually putting yourself last, which at the end will lead to a lot more resistance, a lot mm-hmm. more failure and a lot more like less high performing. And so what's really, really important with self-care is that it's not this end of a week, let's have a bubble bath, end of right. a weekend, let's go to a spa. It's kind of like, what are the things within your day that are boundaries that are really important for your mindset to take just a beat for five mm-hmm. and actually figure out what it is that you need in your day to support mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And that is so essential. And it shouldn't be a self-care. It should just be a daily self-respect. Right. It's a non-negotiable. Right. And, you know, they, well, since, you know, since you're British, Winston Churchill took a nap, right, throughout the day. And some for some people, I know, um, oh, Edison also did the same thing. They would work sometimes through the night, but they would, you know, take these midday naps to kind of recharge for the second part of their day, stuff like that. Have you heard of 75 Hard, the workout thing? Or not workout, really. It's called 75 Hard. So, so no. I'll... Uh, so 75 Hard is very interesting. It was based originally kind of around a fitness thing, but it ends up not being about uh, fitness. But basically, you drink a gallon of water. You have to take it. You do have to take a progress photo. You have to work out t- two 45-minute workouts a day. One of them has to be outside. You have to read 10 pages of some type of nonfiction book. Oh, and you have to stick to some type of diet, but you can choose whatever diet. When I say diet, way of eating. So if you're going to eliminate sugar, you, you should push yourself in some way on the diet. And you do this for 75 mm-hmm. straight days. And that's called, and that's why it's called 75 hard. And I, so I took that on. A friend of mine was doing that. And it's kind of a thing here, uh, starting in the States or especially in workout communities. And now it's turned into the water is the hardest thing, to be honest with you. Drinking a gallon of water a day is actually super hard, but because you have to just do it all day. I mean, I've got this, you know, I thing. Know you haven't drink, drunk anything. I, well, I've got to drink five, and, I've, I've got to drink five of these liter bottles a day. But the thing I've noticed with the 75 Heart, to, to your point about self-care, is it's become self-care rituals, which I would not have guessed, thought of, even, you know, first when I'm doing 75 Heart, I'm doing it because a good friend of mine who works out all the time, he's like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm like, then I'm going to do it too. But it actually turned out to be more of these rituals for good mental health. So for me, the 45 minutes outside is hiking in the woods. I moved to the East Coast of the United States. And so I'm in literally in the woods. Right after this podcast, I'll be you know, out in the woods again, hiking. And so, so it turned into these things that now have become non-negotiable in my day where it's like, for me, I have to have kind of a quiet time in the morning. For me, I read scripture and I write, you know, some stuff and that's 10, 15, 20 minutes. I do cold plunging every day, which is, you know, a whole nother level of weird, but (laughs) I do cold plunging every day. Um, I'm not saying that. Yeah, everybody I did that has... in Scotland last week. So I'm with you. I tell it you what, freezing. every single day for the last 65 days, except for one, when I was at a retreat one day, I cold plunge. But what I've found, I guess my point is, whatever it is for you individually, but they have to become, I found they have to become non-negotiable. That's the thing I liked about the 75 hard is it's kind of like a, on the honor system. Nobody's tracking it uh, other than me. So I actually got to day 32 and then I forgot to take the photo. So I started back at zero. So now I'm 65 days into 75 hard, but I'm going to have to do 105 days to get it done. <laughs> but um, but that's part of the thing of it's consistency and it's self-care. And I found it, it really is self-care. And so what are some things that people can incorporate into their day that you think would be positive self-care things that you don't have to spend money for or go to a spa or because that that those are nice things and, I, and you should get massage and you should get treatments and you should spend time taking care of those things too but what's something people can do on a daily basis to kind of stay not stay but just improve their overall sense of happiness or peace 
Yeah. So I would say like, first of all, it's amazing that you already told me that. And I'd say to all of the listeners, like, what is the one thing that you've done today? Or yes, mm-hmm. it's just first thing in the morning that you've done that's just for you. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing to get people thinking. And I said this to somebody the other day and they just said, oh, nothing. Right. And it's that moment where you're like, okay, this is why it's critical. You might have got through a whole day and you've done nothing for enjoyment for yourself or nothing where you feel like this is just for me and my moment. Mm-hmm. So there's multiple ways that you could do this and on our list a few, but it's not definitely confined to these. The biggest thing is like what makes you feel calm and content. And so that could be preparing your dinner. A lot of people feel like when they're on their own, they just can't be bothered. And actually mm-hmm. that's a form of self-care. Actually mm-hmm. preparing yourself something really nice is a form mm-hmm. of self-care. For me, it's actually calling my parents. So I've actually got kind of a note in my diary every day to check in with my parents. It's five minutes. Mm-hmm. It gives five minutes to call from 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest act of self-care. Going for a walk, <laughs> when you wake up, just getting some fresh air. A lot of people just get up, sit at their desk and start work immediately. They have no form of, of ritual in their morning. What can you do in that morning that is just for you, not for anyone else? It's just confined to something that's for you. That's really important. A lot of people have no wind down routine at all. So they'll work to the very end and then they struggle to sleep. And that's because they've got no moment in their day or no moment in their evening to actually take five for them. That's away from their screen. So what is that? That could be journaling, like you said. That's a ritual. It could be making a nice tea. It could be getting your room ready. But it's something where it's a ritual and it's a part of your day that you feel is just for you. These things are really, really important. And then you can go down all different types of things like journaling that are really important, affirmations that are actually connected heavily to performance mm-hmm. so every time we say something negative to ourselves we need three positive comments mm-hmm. to create that equilibrium of balance so how do you talk to yourself that's a form of self-care it's so important that if you just gone through your day creating negative conversations in your mind taking that time to actually like change those conversations is a form of self-care and that takes a few minutes every day to do that mm-hmm. but if we're doing that that's all kind of like self-respect so those type of things in your day are really, really critical. You know, making sure that you're scheduling time for social situations, all of those things, people might think that they're at that, the end of the line, but they're actually really, really key denominators. That it's really important for you to have that social time and you're going to schedule it within your diary. Scheduling a workout, all of these things, I find that if you don't block them in your diary, you probably won't do them. Right. So making that a thing where you're having these blocks that are for you and that's your time that's going to bring you kind of enjoyment and calmness like for you having that cold plunge doing this challenge that's something that you've decided to put your time and energy into for the kind of the the reward system that you're going to get back and that's Mm -hmm. really really critical but no one really talks about that Mm -hmm. Um, but we know that when we engage more in this we're way more successful we feel way less stressed we're much calmer and so all of these kind of things come out the other end of it but we don't really tend to talk about that very much. And I think that's a real kind of disconnect that we have in our society. A lot of us can feel that it's very selfish or we haven't got time and we put ourselves last and we put all of these other things that are really important. But actually, this is a key priority. And the boundary setting that you put in for this is, is kind of the critical part of if it's going to actually follow through. If you don't put in these boundaries, as you said, like creating these rituals, if you didn't make them into your rituals, you wouldn't do them. Right. So that's also kind of a really key aspect of, of this kind of self-care conversation. And, you know, I'm going to credit to Einstein and I could very well be wrong. So you can feel free to correct me. It happens all the time in my life. But the um, that I believe it was Einstein that said, if, if you continue to do the same thing you've always done and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. Right. And so 
if you're not experiencing, if I'm not experiencing in my life, the things that I want to experience, the only person who's in control to change those things is me. doesn't matter the mm -hmm. situation. I mean, ultimately, you know, Viktor Frankl in a, a Nazi prison camp chose a different mindset, right? Chose a different way of being. And that's why he survived that experience where millions didn't. So it doesn't matter the circumstances while they are important. Ultimately, it's how I'm engaging in life and the rituals that I'm putting in place for that self-care, no matter what, if I'm in prison, if I'm homeless, it doesn't matter what the situation is. I'm still in control of whatever little, it could be breathing. Breathing is so critical to good health. Breathing is so critical to mental health. And everybody can do that for free for the most part, unless you're on a vent and then you're probably not listening to this podcast, but you can breathe, right? There's ways yeah. to breathe that will literally calm down the fight or flight a mechanism in your brain to calm down. What is it? The amygdala or something like this, right? Yeah. Or go from the, the sympathetic like to the parasympathetic. Right. Yeah. And just having that literally set on a timer or on a watch. So like, okay, I'm going to breathe for five minutes, just whatever breath you can just Google. There's so many different breaths you can do, but you know, to do something There's like so that. Many. So many, you know what the biggest thing is, and I think it's something that actually we haven't touched upon, but I think. The reason why I think that you engaged in it, okay, why you mm -hmm. believe in this is because you've probably got really good self-esteem. Mm. And a lot of people don't engage in these behaviors because they, without knowing, it's not kind of failing anyone that doesn't do this, but it's kind of underpinning of this is, is low self-esteem. You don't think mm -hmm. you're worth it. You clearly think you're good enough. So why right. would you do it? It's like, why, why would I bother to cook myself a meal? Mm. If, you if your friend's coming around, you're not going to have, you know, peanut butter on toast. You're going to actually make them a dinner because you believe that it's worthy for them to come over and they deserve that time. Whereas mm -hmm. when it's us, we are undeserving of our own time. And so we just put ourselves last. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the reason why people don't get over this barrier, it's not because they don't actively want to do it. It's because unbeknown to them, they've got very, very low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And actually that's something that can be built very well, but it's never taught on how we built it. And it, nobody ever says, well, you've got low self-esteem because that would just be a, a massive negative comment that would destroy <laughs> right. somebody's self-esteem even more and it's a very hard one to make and have a conversation with but a, a lot of these reasons of why people don't do these things is because they just don't think it's worth their time because it, they're not the main thing on their mind to actually i do deserve this i do deserve to have this five minutes where i do this thing for myself and i think that's kind of like the biggest story of all of this is that when we kind of build up this and that's why affirmations are really important mm -hmm. all this positive self um, talk that we you know we hear a lot about we do know that it actually changes our physiology when we talk well to ourselves and we know this from science so really interesting study just to kind of talk about this which i spoke about recently they had two different sets of groups and they were completely randomized um so you know this wasn't um this is a very high, highly controlled study and they said to one set of people you've got fantastic genes for endurance performance you're really really good at running and they said second subset your genes aren't great for running you've not got very good endurance performance so you're going to really struggle right. they told them that after the second time they did a treadmill test so they first of all did the treadmill test then they got back on the treadmill did the treadmill test again and the results again were completely different as you would know the people that told they had good genes had a much higher performance than their original time and the people that had the bad genes even though that wasn't true at all and they didn't have bad genes for endurance performance right. they actually went suboptimal so they actually went way below the threshold of what they were before and then what they did, these researchers went to another set of groups and they both gave them test mills. And they said to them, one of you in this randomized group have the FTO gene, which is the gene that they call like the obesity gene. But actually, in reality, it's a very, very small percentage of people that become obese with that gene. But they said, anyway, you've got this FTO gene. You're more likely to become obese. 
And they told the other kind of group that you haven't got the FTO gene, you metabolize food really, really well. And when they gave them this food, the people that had that told they had the FTO gene actually metabolized the food totally different mm. and held on more of the fat content. And the people that didn't have the FTO gene, which they, which they didn't either, metabolized the food completely differently and way more sufficiently. And that's so interesting that we can actually see that it physiology had a massive response just by telling somebody mm-hmm. that they don't react well to that food or they won't perform as well on that treadmill test, which actually shows that even though none of them had these genes, they were all exactly the same, just by simply telling them that message that they weren't good enough or they weren't going to perform that well, it actually changed the result, not just of how they performed and run, but also how they even metabolized that food. And that is such a big common denominator of our health that no one seems to think about. So we try to change all these other aspects, but just how we talk to ourselves is so, so important and so powerful. And I think that's kind of where like the underlining of all of this kind of really is rooted. Yeah. And in that, that's why I find that the ritual of whatever you're doing for your practice is so important that you can fall off a day or two or whatever. I mean, I'm not because exactly. I have a thing, I have to check a box and that's literally to complete the 75. So for me, my personality, that works, right? Because it's like, oh, I got to mm. check the box to get it done. But what I've noticed is it's, again, it went from being a physical thing to more of a mental thing. But it's really the, you said this earlier in, in the show, it's really respecting myself. It's become a thing of respect where it's like, I do this because I respect myself. And I know that I'm a better father or I'm a better husband or I'm a better whatever that is. friend. I think some people look down on self-care. It's like it's selfish. And it's like, no, 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 no. I become a better human being when I do these things to take care of what needs to be taken care of on the inside of me, right? There's nothing selfish about self-care when it's truly done as self-care, not as self-indulgence or just as a whim or just as a day day to the spa. There's nothing, again, nothing wrong with any of that. I like a massage as good as anybody, but kind of like you said, reinforcing positive thoughts, reinforcing positive things. Because literally, you know, during the COVID thing, so much was going wrong in my life that once I found a ritual, that was, you know, for me, that was this quiet time in the morning, the quiet time, do a little bit of journaling and just focus on positive scripture, but focus mm-hmm. on something positive, literally saved my life. Like literally that was the difference wow. be- between life and death for me. So I don't want to underplay the significance of ritual because it was until I had that, there were long periods of time during that COVID, for me, that COVID thing lasted well, there's still lingering parts of it, but a couple of years, right? There, it wasn't like it was over in a month or two or three or four, or even six. There was this lingering, the, the collateral damage that COVID caused financially to the businesses that I was involved in just was on tilt, right? And so for me, it was like once I found a ritual thing that I did pretty much consistently, four or five days a week, then it became, I could see success with it. So then that's when it shifted. It was literally the routine that shifted the mindset versus I'm just going to do this to feel better. It was literally no, the routine of the thing showed that I had, that I could care for myself. Mm-hmm. I had to prove to myself that I was worthy again. So it was, for me, it was like, I respect myself enough to do this thing, even if mm-hmm. no matter how small, right? And then it turned into eventually, okay, cool. If this works, what else works, right? And then now it's mm-hmm. just a big experiment. What else can we add in that works? Not to make my life a regimented checklist. It, it is not. I just stick to, this, to the things we talked about. But that's amazing, right? The purpose is there and it's aligned. You're not just doing it because you're like, oh, that's ticked. There's a real meaning behind yes. why you're doing that. And I think right. that's the whole point of this conversation, right? That like yeah. you actually believe what you're doing is 
right for you, yeah. for you. Yes. and this actually is bringing enjoyment to you and contentment mm-hmm. to you and all of these kind of factors that we kind of miss out a lot when we talk about health we're kind of like have you done this have you set this many hours have you done right. journaling right. today yeah, yeah, right. but it's actually like are you enjoying it what did you right. get out of that why are right. you doing that and i say before anyone does anything ask yourself why right no one does that right why yep. are you doing this and you had a you had a really mm-hmm. clear reason of why you were doing that in covid mm-hmm. yeah i had two kids that was your clear so for me it was like if I'm going to survive this and I can't do that to the kids, then I've got to figure this out. That was my why. So my why was literally, you know, family for me. And isn't that amazing? Like my why was my father. Oh, there you go. Right. Yeah. Right. That was my mm-hmm. big thing. Um, and later, it obviously became very all encompassing and changed the course of my career. <laughs> but the why was so much different. But no one asks us. No one asks themselves that. And I think that's a really fundamental question. Ask yourself why. Totally. Totally. Well, for the rest of these, you're going to have to go to your website, Sarah, Sarah and McLaughlin, right? So we could, again, each one of these could be a whole series of shows. And in fact, that you're certainly welcome to come back on and we can have more conversations. You know, human connection, embracing failure, mindful movement. There's so much. There is some, your whole, you know, and obviously you have a wealth of knowledge and, and super dialed in and well-versed on all of this. That's why you're an expert in the field. That's why you do public speaking. That's why you have the, the stuff you have. So what's kind of a final thought that you would want everybody to know? Like a, what, what's a, like a golden piece of wisdom that you have gleaned in all of your experience that you would want everyone to know if there was just one thing that you could impart, what would be that one thing? Gosh, that's really hard. I actually asked me this before the show and I think about no, it. I no, no, really no, no, no. I, 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 like, I like the answer just boom, right? What's the one thing? Um, there are so many things that I could have this as and I'm trying to think about which one I choose. I mean, I don't know if the questioning why is quite a big thing now. I mean, there's so many different fundamentals I'd answer this. Like there was even something recently that I heard at a wedding this weekend that really stayed with me in my mind. And I think you mentioned it at the beginning of the show, actually where you said something really critical, which I'm so glad that you said, mm-hmm. where you said, Sarah has these seven pillars and it's not that you have to be the best in mm-hmm. all of them. And it's not that you've got to do this tomorrow and be fantastic on all of them. And I think the beginning of my journey, not even my own personal health journey, but when I started studying, having that expert hat on, I then realized that the more I learned, the less I knew. Right. And that was a really terrifying place for me. And I thought, how am I ever going to get to a space where I feel so confident to talk about all of these things? And obviously, there was many obstacles and barriers that also went in the way of that as well. And I think anyone who is kind of engaging in any of this type of conversation that realize whoever you're listening to, whether it's me, whether it's you, whoever that is, has also had their own long 10-year journey that you've only seen a snapshot of. And so whatever you go on to do, make sure that you stay curious, but make sure that you always just know that you're on your own journey. And the biggest thing is to not let anyone else deter that because you think that they might know more. They've had a much maybe longer journey than you right. have and you will get there. And I think that is such an important thing. And I still think of that now. There's still so many people that I look up to and I think I'm exhausted. I don't even know if I have the energy to get to that place. And I think the biggest thing is actually realizing that you're not going to get there tomorrow but that long route will be worth it. And I hopefully that will inspire somebody to whatever change they're trying to do, whether it's health or or whatever it is. But that is such a key denominator that that not many people speak about. Love it. Love it. Love it. You're very wise. Very wise, Sarah. I'm glad to have met you and feel free to come back on the show anytime. We could, again, dive into deeper into pillars or just whatever's on your mind that you 
are seeing out there that you'd like to address, love to have you back on. Feel free to to come back on anytime. Uh, your website Thank is Sarah. You, I'd love to. Yes, Sarah Ann McLaughlin. Macklin, sorry, not McLaughlin, different. You made me Sarah. Scottish. <laughs> SarahAnnMacklin.com. And you also, your your podcast is Live Well, Be Well. So please tune in if you'd like more of what Sarah's had to say today. Please tune into that. She is a wealth of knowledge and an expert in the space. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today from, as you said, across the pond and in your evening. And we appreciate you spending your evening with us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, B-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.